You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. I also want to welcome you to worship online. And if you can find a Bible, if you have one close by, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 4. If you've got some children there, have them open their Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible close by, uh, just watch the words right on the screen because they will be there as I read this story. Listen to this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A few years ago, I was able to travel to the Holy Land, the land of Israel. And on the way home, we stopped in Rome and we took a tour of the catacombs. The catacombs are these caves that uh, honeycomb the rock underneath the city of Rome. And our tour guide said, these are the places where those early Christians under persecution uh, would hide and huddle together, sometimes for months, just like we're in our homes uh, huddling together. And who knows how long this will last. So as we walked through, I saw some etchings on the wall, uh, apparently carved by those early Christians, symbols of, of their faith. I saw the cross. Uh, we saw the, the fish sign. Uh, we saw the, what looked like the letter X uh, which is the first letter in the Greek for Christos, for, for Jesus, kind of a shorthand for Jesus. And one of the pictures really caught my attention. It was a stick drawing of a boat. And there was a stick man in the boat standing up, holding his arms. And lines that represented wind and, and waves. Obviously a picture of the story we just read, Jesus uh, calming the storm. And the, the guy told us, that that symbol appears in several places in the catacombs. Apparently it was very precious to those early Christians. And in the story that Jesus, uh, that we read, Jesus asked two questions. He asked the question, why are you so afraid? And that strikes me as a pretty strange question for people who are just in danger of losing their life. I mean, they're bailing for dear life and the boat is filling up. Of course they're afraid. And he says, why are you so afraid? And you can imagine them saying, well, who wouldn't be afraid at this time? And then he asked a second question. How is it that you don't have any faith? Where is your faith? And those two questions, why are you so afraid? And where is your faith? Strike right at the heart of where we are uh, these days. Because we're living, as Holly said, in some pretty unprecedented times, extraordinary days. Uh, this virus is shaking the faith of many. Uh, many of us are being tempted to live with anxiety. People are hoarding uh, possessions and all kinds of things. We watch the television. We live in fear of the predictions, what's going to happen. 
Um, and the story reminds us that we live by faith, not by fear. That in the worst of times, Christians really are at our best. That we don't let fear dominate us. That we live in faith because we're people of the word. We are people of faith and we know this world belongs to our sovereign God. He holds the whole world in his hands and he rules and reigns in all things, even over microbes and viruses. Now, if you've been to the Holy Land, uh, you probably know, well, you've probably taken a trip on the Sea of Galilee in a, in a boat. The Sea of Galilee rests about 700 feet below sea level and it's ringed by mountains, some of which reach almost 10,000 feet. And so the cold air from the mountain funnels down into the, where the Sea of Galilee is and it hits the warm air coming up from the sea and you get these impressive thunderstorms. Uh, if you go to the western side of the Sea of Galilee, you find restaurants today sitting on stilts. And there are little signs that say, if it begins to rain, go get in your car and leave. Because if you stay for dinner, uh, that parking lot can be filled 10 feet with water and your car will be out floating in the ocean. So there the, there's this great storm that takes place. And just like we have various words to describe uh, storms, the writers of the New Testament had a number of different words. We might call a storm a gale or a monsoon or it's raining cats and dogs. Uh, Mark calls it a great storm, literally a whirlwind. And when Matthew remembers his experience, he says this in Matthew 8. When they got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great seismos. That's the word that he uses. We get our word seismograph. Um, it, it refers to an earthquake. So this storm was just unprecedented. And Matthew only uses that word two other times. Once to refer to the shaking of the earth at the crucifixion and once to refer to the shaking of the earth at the resurrection. So it's a word that's used to describe what happens when our sins can be forgiven because of the cross and how Jesus overcomes death by his resurrection. And the only other time it's used is Jesus overcoming fear in those disciples. Some of the versions say suddenly a storm. And storms can come up really suddenly. This pandemic that we're in has come up out of the blue. I mean, did it surprise you? Um, we were looking forward to the NBA and March Madness, looking forward to Memphis in May, the, the, the PGA, a spring break. Wow, it's canceled. It's gone. It came up so suddenly, just like the storm in this story. There are so many parallels between what we're living through and what this story describes. And there are four things that amaze me about Jesus in this story because he really is the central figure here. Here's the first one. He's asleep in a storm. I mean, in the middle of a pitching boat with the thunder and the lightning and he's got cold water coming into his face and the disciples are screaming. He's asleep, and apparently he, he intends to go to sleep because he brings a cushion. You know, if you bring a cushion, you probably are planning to go to sleep, which is why when some of you bring a neck pillow uh, to church service, I get the feeling you're not going to make it all the way through the sermon. So there's a real intent that he has to go to sleep. How do you explain this? How do you explain sleeping in the middle of this storm? Could you sleep standing on the runway next to a jet plane taking off? Could you sleep in a wind tunnel? Could you sleep with the 4th of July and people are exploding firecrackers all 
all around you. How do you explain this? You say, well, he must have really been tired, and he was. He was human just like us. His teaching had taken a real toll on him, and, uh, and the man was just exhausted. So he's in the boat. He is sleeping, and I want to ask you a question. When did he go to sleep? Did he go to sleep before the storm began or after the storm began? I think he went to sleep after the storm began. After it began to rain and the wind began to blow and roar, I think that's when he went to sleep. Otherwise, the disciples would have come to him and instead of rebuking him saying, don't you care, they would have said, don't you think we need to get back to the shore? I mean, we know these waters. We know what's going to happen, but they didn't. What confused them, what bothered them was the fact that he knew what was coming and they knew that he knew. So when they go to him, they actually question his love. They said, don't you care that we're about to perish? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Many people have. Anyone who's tried to live by faith from time to time has wondered, where is he and what is he doing? It's like God is asleep. Why would God put you in a storm when he knows you're barely going to survive it? Why would God allow you to be tempted to question his love for you? Why would he do that? What's going on? Well, I think what we're going to discover is that even more important than Jesus stilling a storm, that he demonstrates his faithfulness to us in the middle of the storm. Sometimes he says to, uh, says to the storm, peace, be still. Sometimes he says to you and me, peace, be still. And there's a kind of peace that we can have that in spite of what's raging around us. So he goes to sleep in the middle of a storm. You know, everybody wants a miracle. Problem is, miracles only come when we have problems. And every miracle in the Bible happened because of a problem, which is good news for all of us because that makes us all candidates uh, for a miracle at this time. Jesus only shows off his miraculous power when we have problems that need miracles. And maybe the greatest benefit of this pandemic we're experiencing is that we discover in a new way the person who is with us. Here's the second thing that just amazes me about this story. How amazing is it that uh, we would be right in there, we're just walking through Mark, that we would be right at this very text at this very time. He calms the storm with a word. He rebukes the wind. You only, you only rebuke someone who's underneath you, maybe an employee who consistently is late for work or you rebuke a child you can't talk to your mother that way and jesus rebukes the wind kids it's like he puts the storm in time out it's like he says you sit there and i'll tell you when you can get up and play again jesus just speaks a word of power he says quiet be still and the wind ceased and it's not just the miracle of the winds dying down it's that it happened so quickly. It's like stillness. The wind's roaring, and now it's just quiet. And he says, calm down. Literally, it says there was a dead calm. If you've ever been out on the water and a big boat comes by, you know that that boat creates ripples and the waves just continue for a, for a while. So you would expect when the wind dies down that the ripples just continue. Doesn't happen at all. It's like a giant hand presses the water and it's, it's like glass. It's just calm and you can actually see your face 
in it. Sometimes Jesus says to the storm, be still. Sometimes Jesus says to us in the storm, peace, be still. And sometimes it's not the calming of the storm that gives us the peace that passes understanding, what the Bible calls peace that passes understanding, but the fact that he gives us a supernatural peace. Well, the disciples are standing there looking dumbfounded. They're looking at the sky. They're looking at the water. And Jesus looks at them and says, those two strange questions. Why are you, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Our Savior knows the devastating effect of fear. Fear is such a powerful emotion. He knows that it can corrode our faith like acid. It robs us of joy. It takes away our, our hopes. It's so powerful. Fear is not only fear is not a good thing. Fear can keep us from doing things we really shouldn't do. We, because we have some fear, we obey. Uh, because we have some fear, we follow the traffic laws. Because we have some fear, um, we don't get ourselves into some situations. And there's a special wisdom in what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. So fear in itself is not a sin. It's what we do with the fear that leads us into sin. When we exclude God, factor God out of the equation of what's happening, we open the door for fear to be a tyrant, dominate our lives, capture all of our thoughts, keep us awake at night. The interesting thing is, more than any other command in Scripture, we find these words, don't be afraid. 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid, which tells me there's, for every day, there's a word from God, uh, do not fear. I love the story that I heard one time of a woman talking to her husband, and she said, when I'm afraid, my mouth goes dry and my palms sweat. And her husband looked at her and said, well, why don't you lick your palms? <laughs> we are just dominated by fear, don't we? Fear is always knocking at the door, but you don't have to open the door. You don't have to invite fear in. And people all around you this, this time are going to be afraid, not you. People all around us are hoarding, not you. People all around us are going to be more afraid tomorrow than, than they are today, not you. It really is possible to live with less fear tomorrow than you have today. Jesus also asked the question, where's your faith? That's the key to overcoming fear. Don't you trust God, he is saying. And we are to be people of faith, dominated by faith and not fear. And apparently the disciples had forgotten the lesson that he had just taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said to them, you're more valuable than flowers and birds. God cares for them. Will he not much more care for you, O oh, you of little faith? So here's my question. What does faith look like in a storm? What did Jesus expect those disciples to do? What does faith look like for you and me in this crazy pandemic that we are living in? And those of you who are feel so vulnerable because your resistance is down or you have some kind of situation or you're elderly, what does faith look like for you? I think it looks like this. Faith says, I am a child of God. He is with me. And as long as he is in the boat with me, the storm won't last and the boat won't sink. The storm will not last and the boat will not sink. You see, what's critical is not how strong your faith is. What's critical is what you put your faith in, the object of your faith. 
If a man falls off a cliff, if you fall off of a cliff and there is a branch sticking out and you reach for it, you may not be sure how that that branch is strong enough to hold you. The question is not how strong is your faith. It just takes enough faith to reach out and grab the branch. The question is how strong is that branch? And Jesus is that branch. And that's what the disciples discover. That's the fourth thing. He creates greater fear than even the storm. This is so incredible. It says, after the storm, when it's calm, they feared a, a great fear. Before he calms the storm, they're afraid. After he calms the storm, they're terrified. The rescue causes more fear than the storm itself. You know, people in the ancient world saw the sea, the, the ocean, as, uh, as evil and destructive and uncontrollable, unmanageable, all-powerful. Only God could control the sea. And those disciples, being good Jewish men, knew their Hebrew Bible, which says, Psalm 65, 7, God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89, 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 93, 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Or Psalm 107, 29. The Lord made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And what is dawning on those men is that this person in the boat with them has absolute supreme power over the storm. He not only knows it's coming, he has total power over the storm. And when you're with someone who is absolute, supreme, total power, you would feel a little awe. You might even feel some fear. You see, what you believe or who you believe is most powerful will be the master of your thoughts and your actions. The storm has immense power. Jesus is more powerful. The storm doesn't love you like he does. He is all wise. He is as loving as he is powerful. And for Christians, every storm obeys Jesus. Every storm serves his purpose. You don't understand it. He lets things happen that we don't understand. He does things not according to our plan, what we would want, things that don't make sense to us. But if Jesus is God, then he has a great enough reason to let you go through things that you don't understand. I think if those disciples had known and realized he is absolutely powerful and he is with us and he loves us, they would have thought the storm won't last and the boat won't sink because he is sharing their fate and anything that is happening to them has already happened to him first. It's like David said in the Old Testament, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Fear comes from forgetting the power of Jesus or doubting his commitment to us in a storm. And when we think of what he had to do to save us, the storm of God's wrath that he willingly walked into, the bloody cross that he endured, then there's no question about his love or his care for us. So we can say, in all these things we're more than conquerors. Elizabeth Elliot lost three husbands, one to violence, two to disease. She wrote these words, God is God, and since he is God, 
He is worthy of my worship and my service. I may find, I might find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. So, what fear is threatening you now? Tell Jesus about it. Cast all your care on him. He cares for you. Trust him with all of your heart during these days when we're at home, isolated, feeling lonely, watching TV, wondering what's going to happen next, watching the headlines. Trust him with all of your heart that he's going to direct your path through this. And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. I watched one time Max Lucado tell a story about when he was six years old, his dad let him watch uh, the old horror movie, The Wolfman. <laughs> he said his dad lived to regret that decision because Lucado said he couldn't sleep at night. He was afraid of the wolfman. He was, in fact, he was convinced the wolfman lived in his living room behind the couch. But the problem was at nighttime when he would get up to go to the kitchen, he had to walk through the living room and he said, I would stand right at the edge of the living room. My dad had told me, don't wake me up if you're, if you're thirsty. Just go on in the kitchen, get a glass of water. He said, I would stand right at the edge of the living room and say, I I'm not going in there. The wolf man lives in there. So he said, he said one night he, he couldn't walk into the living room and woke his dad up. His dad was just like Jesus, was sleeping in the middle of this storm. Woke his dad up. His dad said, what's wrong? He said, well, I I'm afraid. Well, what are you afraid of? Uh, the wolf man. His dad said, come on, uh, got up, and Lucado said he grabbed hold of his dad's T-shirt and walked right through the living room where the wolfman was living. He said he got into the kitchen and, and uh, began to drink water, and he said he looked at his dad and thought, what manner of man is this that can face the wolfman? Just like the disciples said, what kind of man is this that can calm this storm? Could it be that God views our fears the way Max Lucado viewed the wolfman? Could it be that all that stands between you and the courage to face your fears is going to your heavenly Father and tell him about, telling him about being afraid? Could it be that God uses our fears to show us more of himself than we knew before? Isaiah 46 says, I am God, and there is none other. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. Our Savior only does what is wise and good. He has purposes for this virus and its impact. And Christians are people who trust Him, know that He is with them, and we live by faith, not by fear. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the uh, interesting way that this particular text was what was assigned for today as we walk through this series. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you stand with us. You are wise. You are good. You are accomplishing purposes that we don't understand through all of this. And you call us to be people who live with bold faith, we pray, Lord, that our eyes would be on you, not the storm. We realize that nothing can happen to us except what goes to you first. Help us, Father, to trust 
your power and your presence and your love. Help every parent here with children uh, to calm the fears of children because we as parents are trusting you and our confidence comes from you. We pray, Lord, for people who are very vulnerable. We pray for those who are dealing with sickness. We pray for those who are dealing with a scarcity in their home. Make us people, Lord, who are not only uh, calm, not panicked, but people who are, are willing to share. Use us, Father, we pray in these days, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, folks, for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week. You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com.